Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Now, is so much going on, Bill, now when we look at what's going on over in Ukraine and this, the spillover effects in Poland and everything else, because I've always read in the history books, Bill, but reading about it is different than actually seeing it live. In my life, um, I was 36 at the time, uh, and it, it changed me. It changed my look on outlook on life. Yes, I've been to Poland. Uh, I adopted a, a little girl from Poland. Her name is Jessa. We want to say that America is the greatest country in the world, and I believe that with all my heart. But what I don't believe is this other part that we say. We say that America is a melting pot. No, it's not. I believe America is more like a fruit salad or a salad. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I'll have a variety and all the different things in the salad does make it better. And then you notice when things are missing. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift you up today. The two uh, events that happened, uh, today's April 28th, but yesterday, April 27th, was Remembrance Day of the Holocaust and all those six million people that were lost through the Nazi concentration camps. Lord, we lift them up, their souls and their families that never saw closure. And the day before that, Lord, was another big event. It was the day Chernobyl happened. And uh, that was another memorable day and uh, affected millions and millions of people, including uh, my life and my daughter's life. Um, Thank you, Lord, for keeping her safe, keeping us safe while we traveled over to get her And uh, Lord, we lift her up today with the rest of our families. Amen. Father God, we come to you saying thank you for grace and mercy. God, thank you for protecting those and receiving those who just fleeing just for their life, God, with nothing but the clothes on their back or what's in a suitcase. God, the spilling of the blood of the innocents. That's that's always different. In the Holy Scriptures, it says that you and you alone capture every tear, every tear, every tear, and you save it in a little glass. God, just thank you for understanding the humanity of man, the humanity of man and how man at times 
we destroy and hurt each other. God, forgive us. Forgive us for the things, the evil things that we do. And God, continue to bless us and help us and heal us because unintended consequences are still consequences and it affects so many people's lives. Thank you. And we praise you. Amen. Hey, good morning. Odell, how you doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I want to say that, as you know, I believe that America is the greatest country on the faith of the earth right now. And we are doing great things. Are we perfect? No, but we still are the greatest country on the face of the earth. And I believe that a lot of why we're great is we believe that in God we trust. Now, is so much going on, Bill, now when we look at what's going on over in Ukraine and the this, this spillover effects in Poland and everything else, because I've always read in the history books, Bill, about, you know, Adolf Hitler and, and that war and everything and all the people in the concentration camps and the killing camps. But reading about it is different than actually seeing it live because of technology today, because of 24-hour coverage, because of Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Bill, it's, it's, it's real, man. It's real. And I know you've been to Poland. Help our audience understand what are we dealing with here? What are we dealing with, Bill? Yeah. Help me understand. Well, it's tough to understand. It really is because you see those pictures on TV and the whole villages are wiped out. And they're just bombed to uh, smithereens. Uh, and you think about how long does it take, you know, like a town like Greensboro. Some of those towns are the size of Greensboro. And wow, how long would it take in artillery and jets and all that stuff to destroy every major building in, in town, including your house? Uh, you know, that's got to take a lot of time, I would think, and a lot of weaponry and bombs and and just it just blows my mind when they do those pictures and then you see the bodies in the street you know that's just incredible guy riding his bike and coming home with food he gets shot and killed and his potatoes fall out of his bag and they're still sitting next to his body you know it's interesting yes i've been to poland uh i adopted a, a little girl from poland her name is jessa uh originally her name was ebba uh, and we changed it to Jessa Ebba and she, uh, she's, we adopted her, uh, in, uh, January of, uh, 84, I think it was. And, uh, we, but we didn't pick her up until April 28th, like today, uh, at that time. And as I mentioned earlier on April 26th, Chernobyl happened and, uh, wow. Yeah, it happened in her uh, her orphanage where she was staying was in a town called Bialystok. Now, Bialystok's about three hours going toward Ukraine from uh, Warsaw, somewhat near Krakow. And uh, it's real close to the Ukrainian border. So what happened when Ukraine, when the Chernobyl happened, <clears throat> Uh, the radioactive cloud went over her orphanage. In fact, I was, it was interesting. Dory and I read a devotional at night, and uh, on the 26th, they had part of the devotional was talking about um, evil 
in talking about uh, no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison, James 3.8. And they said, uh, shortly after midnight on Saturday, April 26, 1986, routine maintenance was in progress at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in the northeast corner of Ukraine, about 50 miles from Bialystok. When an uncontrolled power surge raced through the reactor number four, producing steam and hydrogen, which culminated in a massive explosion, a mile high nuclear cloud hovered for 10 days and releasing nuclear rain. In the summer of uh, 1993, uh, this person witnessed firsthand its devastation uh, of this accident brought to the region and its people. It's it stayed with me for this day. This is the author talking now. On my humanitarian assignment for the World Vision International, I was sent to Chernobyl to help those wounds that had not been able to heal physically. I walked around in, in an abused landscape that will require many thousands of years to heal. Wow. I talked with suffering children. I listened to those desperate parents. I met with courageous doctors. And I saw what life was like in Chernobyl's dead zone. Things never, things will never be simple and uncomplicated again for those 2 million residents. Big impact. The radioactive cloud went over to Sweden and Finland. We, we had news reports that uh, Bialystok's radioactivity was 50 times higher than normal. Uh, and at the time, it was interesting when we went to adopt Jessa, uh, the uh, we had to uh, spend about ten days in Chernobyl, and uh, we were there. And uh, during that time, uh, we had to have a hearing in front of a Polish judge that we were good could be good parents. We had lawyers and interpreters, and then they our lawyers and interpreters had to go to. Um, Actually, our lawyers went to the embassy to do the paperwork, both in Poland and uh, the American. And then we went with our interpreter uh, down to Bialystok. We took a train from Krakow or from Warsaw to Krakow. And that was interesting because it was communist at the time. And the whole time we drove through the countryside, uh, I didn't see one tractor. I saw horses and plows. And this was in 1906. Mm. And, uh, we got to Krakow and we stayed with uh, a friend uh, of our interpreter and uh, we stayed at their flat and we saw Krakow. Krakow's the town where Pope John came from. And uh, we had him, uh, we got to see where he lived and we got to see the famous bell tower in Krakow. And, uh, and while we were there, the family was talking to us about uh, Hitler in Auschwitz. And quite frankly, I wasn't aware that Auschwitz was that close to Krakow, but it is. It's like a 20 minute ride outside of Krakow. And uh, the people we were with uh, had been in concentration camps for a little while. They actually had the tattoos, the husband and the wife. Uh, and they had a son and they said, would you like to go see Auschwitz? And I thought about it and I said, you know, we have a couple of days that we're, we don't need, you know, sightseeing. You know, we were taking pictures of downtown Krakow, which is beautiful, and decided to go to Auschwitz. And I'm at that time, I'm thinking, OK, wait a minute now, Bill. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Auschwitz, the Auschwitz. Yeah. The concentration camp. 
it says uh, work hard and have freedom or something on the, the front of the uh, building or the, the walkway. So I went there and, you know, when I got there, I'm, I'm thinking a couple things. One is, are the Jewish people exaggerating how bad this was? Okay. And at that point I hadn't had any Jewish friends, but, you know, I was just wondering, it can't be that bad. It had, you know, they, they must be exaggerating. So I'm going to go see it with my own eyes and then I'll have a, I'll be able to tell. Um, so I got there and I had a, one of those old cameras and uh, Kodak cameras. And I started taking pictures like you were at a, you're going to a, a regular place and uh, thinking that it's uh, kind of a touristy thing. Like, you know, you take pictures of the buildings and all that stuff in the grounds. And, uh, you know, I, I started taking pictures when we went through the walkway uh, and uh, went into the first building. And, you know, you saw some documents and stuff of, who, you know, number of people that were there and were killed and murdered. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm taking pictures and I go to the next room and there is a room probably 20 by 40 with nothing but little kid shoes. Wow. I mean, it, it's just wall to ceiling, uh, floor to ceiling. And I was like, whoa, I remember taking a picture of that. And then we went to the next room. It was floor to ceiling of prosthetics. And I start, start, started, stop, I stopped taking pictures because the next room was floor to ceiling of human hair. And then the next room was floor to ceiling of personal items, you know, like bags and stuff. And it was like, holy cow. And there's a story under each. And then we walked around and saw where they did the firing squads. And we saw the rooms where they slept. And uh, that was disturbing. Uh, and then we went to the crematorium and actually walked down inside the building where they gassed them. And, wow. uh, and stood there and thought about the thousands and thousands of people that had been murdered in that room. And then the crematorium, they still had the furnaces and the chimneys. And uh, then they took us, uh, uh, it wasn't a guided tour. Uh, the young man that took us was showing us around. Uh, and he took us to the fields where they uh, had the mass graves. And uh, at least where they thought they were. And, uh, and he saw the railroad tracks that would bring them in. A lot of railroad tracks. It wasn't just wow. one. It was like a, it was like a, a railroad yard. And uh, so that was, I realized at that point that one, the Jewish people were not exaggerating. This was horrible. And this was only one camp or many of them. And two, how could a human being, how could human beings do this to other human beings? And it's the first time I've seen that uh, in my life. Um, I was 36 at the time. Uh, and it, it changed me. It changed my look on outlook on life. Uh, and, you know, it was it was a it was a, uh, a life changing experience. And so was going and picking out Jessa. Those were two life changing experiences at one time. And I could tell you getting caught up and emotionally. Let me ask a question. So I know Jessica. I mean, Jessa. Jess is a beautiful young lady. Okay, how how explain to me, Bill, when you first saw her, how did you first see her? Well, and what did you see in her eyes? Yeah. When we were in um, Krakow, we took a train down to Bialystok, which is near the Ukraine border. And uh, we were taken into uh, a big building and 
uh, we had all the paperwork in order. We had our interpreter with us and I think our lawyer maybe. And uh, we uh, were asked to go into a particular room. And in that room, probably 30 by 30 were cribs all around. And uh, they basically said to uh, me, uh, pick one, pick two, whichever one you want, you can have. And I was like, holy cow, I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, It never occurred to me that I'd be choosing my daughter. And uh, so, uh, by the way, this was a room with only females. They had another room for males. And uh, so I went and held every one of those babies, maybe been 60 of them in there. And uh, I held Jessa, who was at that time about six months old. And I held her and I said, her name was Ebba at the time. And we changed it to Jessa Ebba. I said, she's the one. Man, and- you making tears roll down my face. Let me Let me stop for a minute. You got me crying. You held six babies. No, and six, this six, is the one? 60, 60, 60, 60 babies. And you said this is the one. Yes. Why? How did you know she's the one? She was the one. Um, and I'll remember this the day I die. The way she looked at me with her eyes. Wow. She was wrapped in a blanket. So after that, uh, we had to say goodbye to her because there was more paperwork to bring her into the States and there was a lot of other stuff. So we, uh, we were told, okay, uh, Jess is yours and uh, you need to come back in three months and pick her up after we do all the paperwork. So we left and uh, we went back to our hotel in Bialystok. And it was interesting the night before we were in a hotel. Uh, it, was a, it was an old hotel. It was, World War II, still, it was a communist country, so they didn't have a lot of modern, they didn't have a holiday in. And uh, so I I went and picked up, uh, uh, we were trying to get radio for Europe. I had picked it up on the radio in the room the night before, and, I, and that night I went to it, and it was all staticky. I couldn't get it. I figured, well, you know, maybe it's just out of range or something. And it was interesting, this hotel uh, didn't have a lot of protein. Uh, they had tons of mushrooms because the particular area in Bialystok, they were known for world-class mushrooms. So they had great French wine and great mushrooms. Uh, and I asked them, how, how do they get all this great wine? And they can't get, you know, beef and chicken. And they said, well, the French love our mushrooms, so we barter. And we get great wow. wine. So I had mushroom burger, mushroom salad, mushroom soup. It was good. I mean, it was really good. So that night, we're, we're in our room at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Somebody's knocking on our door in broken English saying, Mr. Goble, you need to come with me. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm getting out. And uh, the uh, so I said, well, our interpreter's down the road and our, uh, down the uh, aisle in the room. She's in this room number and our lawyers. And I think they're with her. Uh, if you, you get them to say, I got to go, I'll go. So they went and uh, came back, all three of them. And they said, uh, Bill, you need to come with us. We've got to get back to Warsaw. We'll explain in the car. And I said, we're not taking the train. He said, no, we got, we can't take the train. We got to take a private car. This is a private driver. So we got in this car and they put us in the back seat and covered us up with a blanket, told us to stay down. And they said, the reason for it was that uh, Ronald Reagan had just bombed Libya and tried to kill Gaddafi. It was back in 86. And, uh, and Libya and Poland have a joint relationship, uh, military and economic. 
And they are worried that the Polish people, the communists, would take Americans hostage uh, because of that. And I found out our the, the lawyers that went into the U.S. embassy, they were stuck in the U.S. embassy. They were locked down. The Marines locked down the embassy. So they were finding all the Americans they could find and putting them in safe houses. So we were driven to Warsaw. and We stayed in a safe house with a uh, family. The dad was a pilot for Lot Airline. That's like they're united. It's a Polish airline. <clears throat> he spoke great English. So did his wife. So we stayed there for about a week. Uh, and what he would do is go to the airport and get the papers off the international flights coming in, like from Germany and stuff. And we could read what was going on because everything was blocked on radio and TV. We, we were like newsed out and uh, blacked out. And uh, so we stayed there for a week. And we had, And it was interesting. So, Bill, you stayed there for a week? Yeah, we had to extend our trip. Uh, we stayed there for a week. And uh, it was interesting. The Polish people only get so many ounces of protein then, the communist, uh, a, a month. And it wasn't very much, maybe a pound or two. Uh, and But this guy, I don't know how he did it, but he was able to get us protein every meal. Uh, we had chicken, wow. steak, pork, you know, everything, fish. And uh, the... Uh, so I remember the uh, so we left and uh, and while we we're back in the States waiting for a uh, word that we can go back in and get Jessa, Chernobyl happened. And we didn't know about it wow. and, uh, until it went on the news. And uh, so we started calling people in the United States that had contacts in Poland to see how Jessa was. Can we get over? Uh, there people, they were doing news reports from about Bialystok that radioactivity is 50 times higher normal, uh, that the cows were getting zapped with this radioactivity because they're eating the grass that was radioactive. And then they're making radioactive milk that the babies wow. were getting. So it was like, holy cow. <clears throat> so we, we flew over on Swiss air to get them and we got there and people had masks on and they were taking iodine to stop thyroid cancer. Uh, we took our own food and water, you know, we anything that was there. Uh, and uh, we went and got Jessa and uh, and we, we flew home on Swiss Air. And uh, when we got there in the United States, uh, the Swiss Air people asked us, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Goble, please ring your bell, <clears throat> which we did. And they came over and they said, listen, we, we don't want you to get off the plane right now. Uh, this is baby Jessa. I said, yes. And they said, have you been keeping track of what's happening in the news in the United States? And I said, no, we've been out of the country. So they showed us like that. We were living in Connecticut at the time, showed us the New York Post. <clears throat> and we we're on the front page. American couple rushes to save their infant daughter from radioactivity from Chernobyl. And unbeknownst to us, it was picked up nationwide. It was on CNN. It was on CBS at night, all the local New York stations. And he says, there is a bunch of newspaper reporters <clears throat> wanting to ask you questions and interview and take a picture of Jessa. And uh, your choice is not to do that. And we'll sneak you out the back, get in your car, you go home, but they're going to be waiting for you at your house. So we recommend we have a PR department. We'll help you with questions. So, you know, and so we walk in this room, we decided to do it at JF Kennedy airport. And I don't know if you've seen those press conferences with like a hundred microphones 
That's yes. what we had. We had that. And so they started asking us questions. We stayed about a half an hour, asked, answered all the questions. Uh, and then we got in our car and drove home. When we got to our house. Our street was blocked off by the police. We lived on a cul-de-sac. I thought, hmm, that's kind of odd. So I pull up and they said, sorry, sir, this road's blocked off only for residents. I said, well, I live here. And he goes, what's your name? I said, Bill Goble. He says, that's why we have it blocked off. Uh, we've had many people driving up and down this street and we're concerned for your safety and your family's safety. So we've blocked it off and put a guard. Uh, but you, we want you to know that you see that helicopter flying overhead because we lived out in the country. Wow. Uh, they are, there's a newspaper person down there that they're going to beam up you live at five and they want to know if it's okay. And, uh, that they can come in and do that. And I said, yeah, uh, we said it was okay, but we couldn't stay long because we we're all tired from traveling. So they came and did a newspaper report and we went, we we're getting ready to go to bed and the phone rings and it was uh, good morning America. And they called and they said, would you come down and uh, interview with Maria Schreiber on good morning America? In the meantime, this stuff is going all over the, all over the nation. And my mom and Cleveland is sitting there, you know, in her living room in Parma, in Parma sitting there okay. in the evening, you know, having her cocktail and her cigarette and <laughs> up comes little Billy <laughs> and baby Jessa. <laughs> and she's going to ask a question. Let me ask a question, Bill. What happened to the blanket that baby Jessa was wrapped in when she came to the United States? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. You know, there was so much going on. There was so much going on. I don't know where that is. We'll have to ask what did you. it look like? What color was it? It was light blue. It was a light blue. Cause we, we, I remember talking about it because uh, she's a girl should be pink and it was light blue, but you know, it was what she was wrapped in. You know, when they, when they, um, when she, when we got her, the back of her head was totally flat because they, they wrap them like mummies and mm-hmm. they, and they keep to keep them warm because they don't have a lot of heat. And so because she was laying on her back so much, it was, it was really flat. It's, I don't think it's flat anymore, but uh, okay. uh, we'll ask her when she gets on the, uh, but it was, it was interesting. The, the, uh, the way they took care of the kids and stuff, they did a pretty good job considering they had that many kids, they fed them and stuff. She had a few, few issues. Uh, so you on good morning, America, you on good morning. Little Billy is on good morning, America and everybody in Parma, is like okay, yep, yep. They go. He's either done something wrong. That's the first thing they said. What did he do wrong? And uh, so Maria Shriver, you know, interviewed us, and uh, she asked. I remember her asking, uh, "Well, do you think you've been zapped with radioactivity or her?" And we said, "We don't know." And she says, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "We're just going to keep an eye on each other. We'll go to the doctor like you always do." And you know, I don't know what to do for that. And she says, well, we do. We are, if you're willing, we have scheduled for you a uh, full body scan for you and your family at the Yankee Nuclear Power Plant in in Connecticut. And we'll drive you there, drive you back if you want. And I said, oh, man, absolutely. So we got in one of their big old limos and we drove up to the Yankee Nuclear Power Plant the next day and or maybe that day. And it's same thing as before. We had all those microphones, the helicopters, and they're waiting for us. And 
they put us through a food body scan. We got videos of some of this stuff and that uh, was on the news. And, uh, you know, it was it was like going through a, uh, you know how you, you go to the airport now and they put your bags through? It's the same thing except for a body. And uh, so we went through it and uh, and we everybody came out clean. Nobody had any, any reactivity. And we think part of it was that the uh, facility was a very thick walled. They had the windows closed. So I think it really didn't affect them. And they, they didn't use milk. They used powdered formula. So unless the water got contaminated, it wasn't going to be an issue. Um, so that, that's kind of the story. And, and then we raised her up and, She's a great young lady. We got her on right now. Let's let's introduce her. And uh, Jessa, yep, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, the uh, um, so our guests would like to know a couple things about you. Uh, one is, what are you doing now? Um, I'm living in Southern West Virginia. Very good. And I work as um, do metal work. Yeah, you do decorative uh, metal work. Mm-hmm, yeah. What kind of things have you made? Um, some stairs and stair railings right now, and some art pieces and large scale sculptures and a little bit of everything. Yeah, and you worked as an apprentice uh, for a piece that's in Colorado, uh, outside of Vail, correct? Yeah. What was the? Do you remember the name of that? Uh, I don't remember what the art piece was called but i worked for an artist in mm. uh in jackson yeah year before last jackson wyoming yeah very good and then uh, um you know i think it'd be appropriate to you know share that you were a, a rock climber for a long time mm-hmm. and still are yeah a little bit yeah and uh but i understand you're taking odell rock climbing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, well, Jess, uh, Odell lost a pound or two. So that's the good thing about it. I've seen posters of you hanging, look like you're hanging upside down on these cliffs. Now, how do you take an overweight, good-looking black guy rock climbing who's afraid of heights? So how how, how would that work, Jess? <laughs> I don't know yet. <laughs> okay. I haven't done that yet. What are those pads okay. that you have underneath when you do the bouldering? What are those called? Yeah, we can get lots of uh, pads out and ropes. Yeah. Probably need about 50 pads. Okay, good. I thought Bill was going to tell me the way to pen to something because up that high, I might wet myself. So I mean, I thought that was what he was talking about, Jessa, from that perspective. Uh, Bill, Jessa, Odell, what do we think as human beings when we see everything that's going on over in Poland? Bill, you, you've been there. You know those areas. Has Jessa been back yet to Poland? Anything, Bill, Jessa, Odell? No. You've 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 traveled to quite a few countries. Yeah, but not Poland. Yeah, and her rock climbing's taken her some great places, and uh, and we went to Cuba with her, and she rock climbed in Cuba, uh, which was kind of cool. And uh, in Versailles, is it is that how we pronounce it? Versailles, Cuba. Uh, Vignales. Vignale. I'd go back there in a Minnesota minute and spend my whole time there. That was great. I still remember. Oh, yes. Yes, Bill, hold on a minute. Hold on. I'm yeah. sorry. Jessa, your uh, dad. I know you can't say anything bad about your dad. Now, I love your dad. <laughs> He's a great dad, Jessa. Tell, tell us about your dad. Tell, tell, 
we have an international show. So we're looking at 20, is it 25 countries now, Bill? Yep. 25 countries. And everyone's looking at Ukraine, Russia, everything. And I pick at your dad a lot, but can you tell our listening audience about your father? Um, yeah, well, um, yeah, good dad. He's always worked really hard. He's seen a lot of things, really interesting, all the things that he's seen uh, over the years. And um, yeah, did a good job with uh, my brother and I are a handful. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's had Patient. a big heart. He has a heart of goal, always doing for other people. When did you realize that you had this dad who care about other people, just care about folks, put other people first? Not that he's perfect and not that I'm perfect. That's why we love each other. But when did you realize your dad is this guy who just has this big heart for everybody? Um, well, I guess when we were kids, we did a lot of, I saw my dad doing a lot of volunteering stuff at church and made us do a lot of volunteering stuff at, when we were kids. Um, I guess when he started doing the Bible studies with uh, the church and then all the stuff that he's done with the Boy Scouts and everything like that, it seems like he, uh, that's, I know that's its own full-time job is all the volunteering. Well, so many people love and appreciate and respect your dad. And I know all the things uh, I talked to you, your brother and your other sister. So we understand that. Um, Bill, when did you know that? Well, you knew that Jessa was special as a baby, but she's awesome as a young woman also. That yeah. You always share with me how proud you are of her. Yeah, I am very proud of her. And, you know, I'm going to support her w whatever she does. I can, you know, y you want the best for your kids, so, but you don't want to get in the way because they got to find their own path, but you want to kind of have a safety net so that if they need some help. You're there to help them. You've done that with your son, your son oh, all day long, all day long. <clears throat> oh, my son. Yeah. So, you know, I, and it's, it's great to watch them find their path uh, or work on some paths. Uh, you know, Will is still trying to figure out his, you know, he wants to get a, his CDL license. So if anyone wants to hire him, give me a call. The uh, uh, Jessa, Jessa, <laughs> shameless plug, shameless yeah, plug, right? Yeah. And Jessa uh, was interesting because you know she went to a school, private school here, and you know everybody thinks you got to go to college. So she went to was it Lee's McRae? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For about less than a year, correct? Yeah. And and she knew after a short period of time that that wasn't her path for happiness. <laughs> that was not a good thing. So she wanted to uh, go into rock climbing as a profession. And she moved to West Virginia and I'm sure she struggled. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, but she found her way. She started working for companies that supply rock climbers with equipment and, and personal items. And uh, she did a great job building up that business and going around the country and, and doing her rock climbing. So, uh, and then uh, she's like any of us, we take that to a certain point and then we go, eh, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something else. And you if you follow your passion, you'll be successful. Uh, you may not be financially successful, but you'd be very satisfied. And uh, yeah, but, but Bill, but Jessa, remember Jessa, you have a rich daddy. Remember your daddy is daddy Warbox. So just remember that Jess, remember that you have a rich daddy. <laughs> 
Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, he's walking me down a path, Jess. Just don't listen to all that. (laughs) The... uh, but, you know, it's it's been interesting to watch you grow as a woman and grow as an individual and your friends are phenomenal. We we were coming back from Cleveland and we stopped in to spend a night at Jess's house. She has a, a house and we stayed and uh, with our dogs, even which freaked out a couple of people. And now she's got her own dog, uh, which is her, which her. We call them fur babies. And uh, what's your dog's name? Uh, Jennifer. Juniper. Is that, do you call her Juniper? You call her Junie or what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. How old is she now? Three months. Oh yeah. Still baby. Yeah. Pretty smart. She's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. What is she, what have you taught her anything? Yeah. She knows most things. Like she knows how to be on the leash and um, how to sit and come when she's called and um, all the names of her toys and well, she knows the names of her toys. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it sounds like the way Dory trained me. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, what do you see when you look into Jess's eyes now? Um, I see a happy young woman uh, that is uh, self-reliant, self-sufficient, uh, and uh, independent, um, and someone that uh, cares a lot for other people. Wow. And that's probably what you saw years earlier, mm-hmm. you know, because whatever you saw was special enough to say out of 60, this is the person. Mm-hmm. And you were right, my friend, you were right. And it's interesting. What do you see now when you look at everything that's going on over in Ukraine and how many other babies and children how many other young folks going to be affected because unintended consequences are still consequences. And a lot of people are losing their lives and a lot of people are losing their, their livelihoods. And a lot of people are leaving. Uh, You mentioned earlier, what would happen if that happened to Greensboro? Let me expand that question. What would happen if this, what was happening to Ukraine would happen to the state, the United States, or where would we go? Where would we go when you can't fly so it's all land travel. So we would go to Canada. We would go to Mexico. Where would we go for help? Who would help us, Bill? Oh, that's an easy question. That was easy. I'd go to Parma. Jesse, you see what I'm dealing with? <laughs> Jesse, have you ever been to Parma? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, describe Parma to me because your dad might be fibbing a little bit. He said there's no black people in Parma. So, Jesse, when you went there, please tell me you saw at least one black person in Parma. I saw one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, Jess, so we're going to take uh, Odell one time to Parma. Uh, maybe we had to take him for J- July 4th weekend when we have our family reunion. And uh, he can he can double the population in Parma. Double the black population in Parma. So we'll go from one person, one black person to two black people. Again, <laughs> I know people listen and Parma. We're not making fun at Parma. We're laughing with Palmer because one of the good things about it is um, life, life is life. And when you sit back and you think about what's going on now in, you know, Ukraine, I keep referring to it because it's, it's going to affect all of us. In some cases, it's going to be negative. In most cases, it's going to be positive. However, it will affect us because when you come to America, Bill, Jessa and Odell, we want to say that America 
is the greatest country in the world. And I believe that with all my heart. But what I don't believe is this other part that we say. We say that America is a melting pot. No, it's not. I believe America is more like a fruit salad or a salad where all the different tomatoes are still tomatoes. The lettuce is still to lettuce and there's so many different ways of lettuce and the olives are still the olives. So when you come to America from Ukraine or any place else, People usually come and after a while, they kind of migrate to their own sections. You know, we have this thing we call Little Chinatown in, in New York, or we say Little Italy, or we say Little this or Little that. And that's not a bad thing, because I don't think just because people bring their culture, their tradition, and their food with them and other things, I don't think that's anti-America, Bill, because I remember years ago, it was that anyone who came here... Um, you're not going to speak another language. They better come to America and learn how to speak English and all this kind of nonsense. So sometimes, not always, sometimes the other in America, we let you know that it's not a melting pot. But those are my thoughts. Jessa, Bill, what's you, what's you all's thoughts? And what do you think the people from Ukraine who's coming here will experience down the road? I'm going to let Jessa answer that. Jessa? I think that's a good way to put it. Um yeah, I'll have variety and all the different things in the salad does make it better. Um, and then you notice when things are missing. Wow. Um, and hopefully wow. the that's a whole different can of worms with refugees and everything like that, because there's not just refugees for from Ukraine. They're refugees from Africa and um, the Middle East that go through Ukraine and are in Ukraine trying to get out right now that other countries are going to have to take in. So hopefully... Uh, hopefully government policies will change and borders will be looser to allow those people to come and, you know, stay here for a little while and go back till they can go back or just um, can survive here. Jesse, you said something that just blew my mind and, and your dad's going to get me because I'm talking too much, but Jesse, <laughs> you said something that blew my mind. You said, yes, what's in the salad, but what's missing. Help me understand that, please, because I like that. Something's there. What What do you mean by what's missing? Um, well, salad is, lettuce is boring, as we all know, and having two or three things in the salad, salad helps, but it's nice to have, you know, variety and more things in salads. Um, and so if, you know, you, you have that for a while, then things get taken out, like tomatoes or whatever you notice it and it's not mm. as good. I think it's the same thing with, it's a good analogy with, with culture. And, um, you know, once people get here, they're, and they get citizenship or whatever you want to put it, once they're here, then they become part of our culture and our society. And so when they're not here, it changes it. And it's a kind of dilutes it the other way. As I guess, I don't know how to explain it, but, um, well, but, um, you know, having more people and more cultures in this country um, only enhances it. I agree. I agree. Jesse, you know, as you were saying, the lettuce analogy, uh, we have in salad dressing adds a spice, an, another element to it. So we have Italian salad dressing. We have Greek salad dressing. We have Russian salad dressing. You know, you, you start playing on those oh, names, point. but we've got all these international uh uh names that we add to our salad 
and uh, they make it different. They make it preferred and different. Like some people don't like French dressing, but they love Greek dressing. Does that make the French bad? No, just a preference. Um, Jessa, do you, would you like to go back to Poland and be our stock? Yeah. And what would you want to do when you were there? Yes. Just see where I came from and just go around the area. Kind of can't just get, feel the vibe of the, the area where you came from just, and maybe just walk around areas. Maybe we, yeah. can, maybe we can find the building where uh, I picked you up. Yeah. Kind of cool to find that. And uh, definitely got to go to Auschwitz if you're that close. Uh, I suspect Bialystok right now with all the refugees is inundated with Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Where else would you like to travel? Oh, uh, everywhere. <laughs> that's a good answer. Well, that's good. Jessa, we always ask our guest, how do you find common ground with people that either don't agree with you or don't look like you or just how do you find common ground? Uh, and uh, I know I didn't give you any chance to think about that. So we'll just take your spontaneous answer. <laughs> that's a tough answer right now, especially living where I live. Um, I don't know where everybody that lives here is we're all part of the same country and part of the same community and all, all trying to do our best. Odell, well, you know, yeah, I, I'm just sitting here and my thought is this. Jessa goes back to where she said to where she came from. It's so many emotions and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I would think so many emotions that may be pent up that comes back. And what happens is this person, my family, and I know you all are family Goebbels. I know that. In addition to that, expanded families, people who I might be walking down the street and someone who looks just like me, you know, all those different things because genes doesn't discriminate, you know? So I just thought that was powerful. And Bill, I would love to be a part of whatever we need to do uh, to get uh, this opportunity for Jessica to go back when things are, in my mind, I would say when things are better, but who am I to say? I'm just a good looking black guy. The uh, It's interesting. I, I thought about putting on her airplane and sending her now because she could volunteer and help with the refugees. Hmm, that's interesting. Jessa, what did you think when you heard that your dad, along with his friend, is starting this podcast? you like, what? Because my kids are like, oh, Lord, here daddy go again with something. <laughs> what did you think when you first heard, Jessa? You want me to get, uh, off? Want me to get off, Jessa, so you can tell him the truth? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought it was cool, yeah. He's got a lot to say and a lot, to, a lot of interesting experiences and things to talk about, so... So yeah. it wasn't two old guys, two old guys talking about their glory years. Uh, you didn't see it that way. Good. No. Thank you. Well, you know, the, the thing that I find interesting about this, besides being fun and enjoying my with my good friend Odell and uh, and talking to people like you, Jess, and just the guests we've had, these podcasts will be saved for ever. It's wow. digitized. So, you know, I would love to hear your grandpa my dad, and even my grandpa, if they had done recordings like this, just to listen to their voice and how they thought and what experiences they had. Uh, we Unfortunately, they didn't have those things back then. Now we've got them. So what Odell and I are doing is a secondary 
uh, item is to save these for future generations that may find them of interest. Isn't that completing the circle from the time you went over, Bill, and picked up this young lady and looked in her eyes and started crying to this day, the gift you give to her is that one day, Jessa, your daddy won't be here, but you could pick up this podcast and you could hear it and you can see it and you look in his eyes. And Bill, what would she see when she looked in your eyes, sir? Right now, an old fart. (laughs) (laughs) Jessa, what am I going to do with your dad? What am I going to do with him, Jessa? I don't know. Odell, I love you, but Jessa, I really love you. You have a great day. Okay, thanks. Love you, Dad. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulating and best-read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.